Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, I realize sitting down front at a church you're not used to is kind of like sitting down front at a Gallagher concert. <laughs> Some of you don't know who Gallagher is. Gallagher was a comedian whom I don't know if he was very funny, but he smashed fruit and vegetables and giant watermelons and whatnot with a sledgehammer on stage. Don't worry. He's like fearful. I'm not going to do that. Um, but sitting down front, thank you, Brandy, for making everybody sit down front. I'm sure they're excited for making, having you do that to them uh, at a new church or a church you're not familiar with or even your own church, right, Brian? Sitting down front's a little scary. Um, anyways, we'll try to make this uh, interesting, to say the least. We've been going through the book of Titus, and uh, Titus is really not much of a book. Um, it's actually a letter, an ancient letter. This is the book of Titus, the whole thing. It's very short. And the first week, I challenged folks in our church to read this every day for the nine weeks that we would be going through this short letter. And you'd think, oh my gosh, you can spend nine weeks on that. Um, and after you hear today, you can think, wow, he could probably spend 18. Um, and we've been just kind of walking through slowly, uh, just uh, taking in this book, this letter. Partly why it takes time to go through ancient letters is because uh, there's a gap between us and this ancient letter. If you've ever read the Bible, you know this gap. You've experienced this gap. If you've read parts of the Old Testament and you just left going, huh, that's supposed to be helpful? You've experienced this gap. If you've read part of the New Testament and you thought, oh my gosh, what on earth is that about? I don't even know where, where Crete, the island, is. I don't know where any of this stuff is. I don't know anybody named Titus except for maybe a boxer, and I don't think it's Tyson. But anyways, there's a gap between us and this ancient document. There's a gap of thousands of years. There's a gap of culture. They didn't have electricity. There's a gap of language. They didn't speak English. In fact, English didn't exist yet. We had to steal from these ancient languages a bunch of our words. And so there's these gaps. And partly why you spend a lot of time walking through these old letters is because of the gap. And to my job is to help to close the gap, to help us understand, are there things from these ancient words, these ancient books, these ancient letters that might actually help us today. Now, why on earth would we presume that ancient letters could help us today? I mean, I read the Odyssey when I was in high school. It really didn't help my personal life much. I read Plato. It was interesting. Uh, a lot of it went over my head. But, you know, I, I, I got some notions from it. But I wouldn't say it changed my day-to-day -day life. Why would we presume that this ancient document, these ancient writings that have been collected in what we call the Bible, why would we presume that these things could be helpful to us in 2015? Well, part of it is because in this book, it claims to be the Word of God. It, it makes this claim about itself. Uh, and... If it claims that, one of the things that you and I would be wise to do is to consider that claim, uh, to wrestle with, could that possibly be true? 
And for me and for many who come here regularly, and for some of you who are uh, taking uh, baby steps into the shallow side of the pool, we're all wrestling through that question of, is this God's word to us today? Many of us have decided, yes. But one of the things that you find when you decide this is God's word to us today, when you decide to believe that claim, there's a lot of irritating things in this. There's a lot of challenging things in this. This letter doesn't think and do life the same way Steve Weinkoop thinks and does life the same way. And so it's a little irritating that way. Today, the, the scriptures we're going to look at in Titus, they will irritate us a little bit. On one hand, they will inspire some hope. They might inspire some fear. But they will also cut against the grain for us. Now, uh, we should not be surprised because elsewhere in Scripture, the Scriptures are called a two-edged sword. And, and really, a better idea of rendering that is it's like a surgeon's scalpel. Anybody ever had surgery before? My New Year's resolution is to never have surgery ever again. And thus far, I'm living up to that. In fact, never again is a misnomer because I've never had surgery. And my whole plan is to go my whole life without surgery. Now, I know some of that's out of my control. My body will betray me at some point. I understand that. But if it was under my power, right? And those of you who have had surgery, if it was under your power, you wouldn't have had surgery. And if one of the pictures, one of the word pictures for this book is that it's like a surgeon's scalpel. You might be asking, where's the anesthesia? And sadly, there's none. So this might hurt a little bit, too, as we read these words, as we look at this. This was written to Titus, who is Paul's representative. And Paul's representative, he's kind of like his job is to go plant churches. And he's trying to plant churches on this island paradise called Crete. We have a live image map of Crete. Uh, Crete, you can kind of see it over there on that part of the map. It's right dab in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful, wonderful place. In fact, the picture behind the word Titus, that's actually a lighthouse, an ancient lighthouse on the island of Crete. Um, it has a hundred cities that are competing for your dollars as a tourist. It's a beautiful location. Lots of people in Europe travel to Crete for holiday. That's what they call it when they're in Europe. We call it vacation. But uh, I want to go someday to Crete. I've added it to my bucket list since I've been studying it. And Crete is a beautiful place. It's also a very important location because it's a trade route. And ships would stop there and they, people would get on and get off at the ship and they'd put things on and off the ship and they would go to Rome and it would go to uh, all the major ports and major cities of the ancient world and they would take their goods, but they would also take ideas from those places uh, to Crete and beyond. And so Crete is a very strategic location. And Paul knows this, and he has a guy named Titus, who's kind of his buddy. He's also like, he calls him my son in the faith. He's a young man, and Titus is left on Crete by Paul, not for holiday, to do some work. And Paul charges him with starting churches on Hawaii, basically. 
Now, the last few weeks, I've been likening Crete to being a place like Las Vegas on Hawaii. You know Vegas, right? Okay, good. <laughs> Vegas is that place where, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, uh, except for all the security cameras that are busy recording you, and those end up in the cloud someplace, and then you can get hacked in, and people will see what you did. But anyways... Vegas is Sin City. When I was growing up, it's called Sin City. Vegas is this notorious place where people go to let their hair down, to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Because in Rayberry, you might get in trouble doing some of this stuff. But in Vegas, be like the folks in Vegas. And Crete is this place that is like this flip-flop island paradise that has a reputation for being a place full of wild living. And Titus' job is to start churches there. <laughs> Isn't that a bummer job? <laughs> That'd be really hard. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, folks, let's all sit down and sing some praise songs. Okay, people, chill out. Let's have a talk now. I mean, now, fortunately, back then, church didn't look like it does today. Church looked very different. They met in people's homes. Uh, they had meals together. It, it looked very different than it does today. There were some commonalities, but you got to remember, they're right in the midst of starting this movement up. They're just kind of figuring out as they go along. By the way, we're still doing a lot of the same stuff today. We just have 2,000 years of, of regret and remorse to figure out, too, at the same time. Some of you didn't catch that. That's okay. But here on... Crete, Titus is left there. And Paul tells him, in order to start a church, in order to start not just one church, because there's a hundred cities on Crete at this time, he wants him to start a hundred churches in every little city so that everybody can have a church to go to. And Paul says, every church needs good leadership, good teaching, and good works. Every church needs good leadership, good teaching, and good works. And we've already looked at the, uh, the good leadership part, and we've looked at the good teaching part, and now we're going to take a look at the good works part. And Paul kind of circles around these three ideas throughout this short little letter to Titus. Today, we're going to look at some verses in the, at the end. We're going to finish up chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The words will also be on the screen. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Those last couple words are important for people like me. Don't let anybody despise you. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Now, before you start despising me, let's try to work through some of what Paul says here. I want you to kind of see it as like, it's like an ice cream sandwich. And Paul has sandwiched between each part of these, the sandwich, there's these appearances. And they're kind of the 
the, you know, that yummy, what is that, chocolate? Like a Oreo kind of stuff in an ice cream sandwich. Maybe we just need to go with an Oreo. It's that chocolate goody stuff on the outside of the stuffing. That white, what is that? It's probably illegal. <laughs> it's addictive. It should not be allowed to be eaten and consumed by people like me, right? So Paul has an Oreo cookie in mind, probably. And the first appearance that he talks about, he talks about two different appearances. And the first appearance he talks about is the first appearance of Jesus Christ on this earth about 2,000 years ago. And Christians teach, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ, who is fully God, put on flesh and became fully man. So he had this fully God, fully man thing fused together in one person named Jesus Christ. And he came and he lived on planet Earth for 30 some odd years. And that appearance is the first appearance that Paul has in mind in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God that he's speaking of is the person Jesus Christ that offers salvation to all people. And one of the things we can learn from this is that the heartbeat of God for everyone is that they would experience salvation. That God desires everyone to come to know him and to follow him, to trust him, to have relationship with him. This is why, if you're unfamiliar with Christian churches, this is why people who go to churches bug you about coming to their church. This is why people are, who love Jesus Christ are passionate about trying to help other people come to know Christ. Because right here we learn that God himself is passionate about people coming to know him, coming to experience him, coming to be with him. Salvation. And so people who know this Jesus are very passionate. Now, I know there's outliers out there. There's folks who aren't so passionate, right? There are people who pay it close to the vest. There are people who won't bug you about their faith because that's a private matter. Whatever. Um, Good thing God didn't see it as a private matter. He sent his son to the earth so that all could be saved. So that's one of the, that's like the first appearance. And that's the, what I like to think of as the appearance of grace that God sent his son in this first appearance, this first epiphany, this first sighting of Jesus. And then there's this second appearance that we read about. It's the, it's the other part of the Oreo cookie. It's this other appearance that is going to happen. And he says this in verse uh, 13. While we wait for the blessed hope. You see, this is the blessed hope of the church. This is the blessed hope of those who follow Christ. And what is that blessed hope? He tells us the appearing of the glory of our great. Now catch what the words are that he applies to Jesus here. God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, Paul believed that Jesus Christ was God and Savior Not that Jesus is a really wise dude who was like a beach bum who uttered really awesome things, man, to people. Just love your neighbor as yourself, dudes. You see, that's what a lot of 
modern-day Americans think of is Jesus is just this laid-back kind of stoner guy that hung out with people. It's not at all what Jesus saw himself as. That's not at all what the New Testament sees Jesus as. The New Testament and Jesus himself saw him and understands him as God. And not in that weird new agey kind of way of we're all gods. As the one unique only God, creator God. That Jesus is that guy in the flesh and that he is going to appear again. And we have other writings in the New Testament. One is in Revelations chapter 19, and I have those on the screen and we can read those real quick. And this is a fascinating description of Jesus. I saw, this is John the Apostle. He had this revelation. You might have heard the song, John the Revelator. He's reading or seeing this and he says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Did you catch that? That's a reference to a tattoo. (laughs) He's got a name written on himself. Uh, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is describing this blessed hope. Now, you might have heard that and go, "Uh, I don't feel very hopeful about that appearance. Sounds like he's coming to kick butt and take names. We might think that's not a good thing. And this appearance of God, this is the what I like to think of as the glorious appearance of Jesus, where we will see him come in power and authority as the rightful king of planet Earth. And part of that appearance is going to be to judge. And that shouldn't freak us out unless we fall short of what he might be judging us on. Um, It should actually encourage us because aren't there some injustices in the world? Aren't there things that you think somebody ought to come on and do something about that? Somebody ought to show up and put that right. Somebody needs to come on down here and kick their, you know what, all over the place. Somebody needs to come down and take care of this. At my house, my mom always said, wait until your father gets home. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what many of us feel, that deep down inside of us, there are just bad, nasty things that happen all the time on earth. Just this past week in the Middle East, there was that Jordanian pilot who was burned to death. And if you have any sense of justice, If you have any sense of good and evil in your life, then something in you should scream out and say, what is going to be done about that? And even if America goes over to the Middle East and we get all rowdy and we start nuking people and bombing them back to the Stone Age, which they're kind of already there, so that doesn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, if we get all rowdy, that Jordanian 
Pilate's still dead. And it was still painful. And it was still horrific. And his family still mourns his loss. And his children still grow up without a dad. And there's still no justice, even if intervention by humans happens. We still cry out and think, somebody's got to come on down here and do something about this. That's what this appearance is. That's what this blessed hope is. That somebody is paying attention and is going to come down and get all rowdy and put things to right. There's a new song that I've heard recently on the radio. It's by David Crowder. And it says, um, there is no, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. And when we hear that song, we think, you know, yeah, when we go off to heaven, when we go to fly to be with Jesus in heaven, then we'll, everything will be good. But the picture that we have in the Bible is that heaven's going to crash down here, that there is going to be a renewal of all things here. In fact, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said this. Uh, Jesus said to them, see, I knew he said that because it says Jesus said to them. Plus, it's in red in a lot of Bibles. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal, did you catch that word he says there? At the renewal, not the destruction, not the burning, not the, you know, fire, brimstone, the renewal. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man, he's talking about himself there in the third person, because really cool people do that, sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, remember that invokes the question from last week, if you were here, what's good for the gospel? will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. You see, this blessed hope that the church looks forward to is Jesus Christ returning to renew all things. And unfortunately, if you talk to some Christians very long, you get the impression that the glorious hope is that someday we get our ticket out of here. And that's not what the scriptures teach. It teaches that someday God comes down here and puts it all to right. Renews all things. Now, we've, we've got to deal with the stuffing because isn't that the filling of the Oreo? Because that's, who likes the, that the best in the Oreo cookie? I mean, the appearances are pretty awesome, right? I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, the metaphor breaks down, obviously. Uh, but we got to deal with this white filling a little bit here. And the filling is this. What are we supposed to do between the first appearing and now the waiting for the next appearing? Because last I checked, <laughs> we're still here. Last I checked, we're all kind of bumbling around trying to figure out how to live life now. I mean, that's great, Steve. I either have something to look forward to in the future or something to be a little anxious about and how do I deal with that? Or I've got to figure out how to function tomorrow in the town where Alco just closed down. <coughs> well, you go to Walmart now, right? How do we live life in light of this? And that's what these verses that are sandwiched in between tell us. Paul says this, 
For the grace of God, remember this is, the, this is the sandwich here. For the grace of God has appeared, the first appearing, that offers salvation to all people. And what does this do? It teaches us to say no. Oh, don't you hate the Bible? <laughs> that was a preacher that just said that. <laughs> it says no. It teaches us to say no. You know, if you're a kid, all you hear from mom sometimes is no right? And she got it from the Bible. That's why she says it. If you're a dad, sometimes all you hear from your wife is no. Because you've had bad ideas that you were leading the tribe into doing. Come on, no one's going to get hurt. It's going to be awesome. And that's like dad's job, right? Is to bring a little danger, a little fire to the to the whole household experiment. And we hear no, too. And now we turn to the Bible and we read, no. No wonder people don't come to church because nobody likes to be told no. But what does he tell us no about? Because <laughs> sometimes that's important. Like when mom says, don't do that. No fire in the house. Dad, put it back. The stick of dynamite should not be in here, right? I mean, there are some no's that are really wise. Maybe God's really wise. And maybe he says no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Oh, brother. It's one of those sermons. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, I want this filling to taste good. I like that Oreo. And right now, it's kind of bitter, isn't it? No ungodliness, worldly passions. Great. You're telling me I can't do anything fun. Probably can't even eat the Oreo filling. Thank God for milk. What is he teaching here? I, w- I want to give a positive spin to these things. Not because I think the Bible needs spin. But because oftentimes we just think in no's and don'ts and stop it. And God's really not all about no's and don'ts and stop it. God, remember, the first part says he's passionate about saving you. He's passionate about a relationship with you. And you know what stands in the way of that relationship most of the time? us. It's not his problem. It's us. And it says here, say no to ungodliness. Now, what is he saying there? I think it means that he wants us to be focused on God. To be ungodly just means that we live our life as an atheist, that we just go through life not thinking about how God might want us to live. That's what it means to live ungodly, to just be, you know, bumbling along, doing our thing, not really thinking, what would God have me do? A couple years back, there was those little bracelets that came out, WWJD, because people forget, and we need little acronyms to help us remember, WWJD, what would Jesus, oh yeah, what would Jesus do? Really, a really good question is, what would Jesus do if he was you, (laughs) Because oftentimes we just go, 
what am I going to do? Because it's me. And we live our lives completely blinded to the idea that there's a God in heaven and that there's this appearance that happened 2,000 years ago and there's this other appearance that's going to happen in the future. And if those appearances are really going to happen, then the way we live our life should probably be in light of this God. So I think he's telling us, live your life God-centered. Not centered on you. And by the way, if you don't believe in God, and if you think that wasting your time with a God, uh, you know, if you believe that's a waste of time, then there's really no reason to strive to be good or nice or kind to anybody. I mean, if there's no appearance in the future with some dude on a white horse with a sword who's going to get rowdy and put things to right, including you and me, I mean, if you just die and nothing happens, or if you just die and we all become part of the consciousness, or we just all die, or we get a million tries again and again through reincarnation, then why bother being nice? What a waste of your time. The scout's motto is completely meaningless then. If there is no God, why bother? (laughs) Just get rowdy. Do what you want. You just heard it from me, kids. (laughs) If there's no God. If there's a God, then you'd be crazy to live your life ungodly. If there's a God, you'd be crazy to bank your life on the fact, if there is a God, you'd be crazy to bank your life on the idea that, nah, he doesn't care how I live. I think the first idea is you need to live God-centered. The second idea, you need to leave, live kingdom-focused. Now, what on earth do I mean by that? And I'm going to quickly just jump through this because I've already gone over my time and I don't want to bore you anymore. Where he says no to worldly passion. Oftentimes we think, oh, that means we can't, you know, <laughs> do all those things that rock and roll stars do, right? That's what that means. And yeah, probably means some of that. But worldly passions Paul puts an adjective in front of passions because he's saying there's some passions that are worth having, worth pursuing, worth living out. It's just those that are worldly aren't it. And your passion should be focused on this kingdom of God. Remember the one where the king is coming on a white horse? If that's true, then you should live your life with a kingdom focus. You should live your life that, like you're already living in that new kingdom. That life matters, that your life matters, that your interactions with other people matters, that how you spend your time and your treasure and your talents, that it all matters because someday there's a glorious appearance that's going to happen. And also because there was a past appearance that changed you. And the third thing, where he says, upright and godly. That word upright in the Greek, you can also translate as just. To live a just life. 
to live a life that is seeking justice in this world, that's seeking to make life better for those who are being hurt and beat up and bullied. We saw a picture of that in that little trailer, didn't we, of that pastor who's heard of a problem of babies dying because they're abandoned and they're dying in the freezing, dark, cold of Seoul, Korea, and it bugged him. And he decided if this grace appearance happened 2,000 years ago and this glorious appearance is going to happen sometime in the future, then somebody should do something about it. And oftentimes when we say somebody, that's what we mean. Somebody else. And we stop there. And a lot of times when the somebody comes and it hits us hard, because sometimes we feel it, don't you? You feel it like this? Somebody ought to do something about that. And oftentimes when we feel like this, we go around poking other people. Somebody ought to go do something about that. Meanwhile, we're ignoring the bruise that's forming on our sternum. It could be the Holy Spirit thumping you. Maybe he needs to change his approach. Right? Somebody. And that Korean pastor said, I will. I'll act justly. I'll do something. (laughs) Now we have an opportunity to go see a movie and spend 10 bucks so that he can do it some more. Maybe somebody should go to that movie. Somebody. (laughs) See how that works? Isn't that irritating? (laughs) So what does this mean? Let me wrap it up by giving you a little phrase to walk out of here with. See, I think the blessed hope that coming in the future, the blessed hope and the grace of Christ's appearance in the past transforms us. It transforms you and me to be a community that lives out the values of the coming kingdom now. You see, that's at the heartbeat of this church. And just imagine if our church really grabbed a hold of this and started to live this out. Just imagine if we all were transformed to the point that we started to wrestle with what does it mean to live my life now in light of this kingdom that's invading and coming and going to take over this world someday because it's coming and it's going to take over this world someday. How would we spend our time, our talent, and our treasure? What would we do with ourselves? How would we make decisions on how to spend our money? Would we spend it differently? Would we become generous people? Because Not because we're trying to score brownie points with God. He could care less. It doesn't work that way. He's not Allah. (laughs) He, He doesn't want good works. So he goes, you're good. I like you. Come into heaven. That's not how it works. He brings you to heaven through grace, through death of his son on the cross, not by how good you are. If that's why you came today, you get no star for attending this morning. His appearance in the past is gracious and saves us. 
And his appearance in the future will inaugurate and bring in his kingdom. And we live in the in-between time. And those of us who know Christ need to be transformed so that we start to live our lives in ways that bring this kingdom to bear on this world. If we did that, I'm convinced Ray would be a way better place to live. It's already pretty good. But if a church got a hold of this, if a handful of people in a church got a hold of this, I think Ray would be a better place for it. Whether they believed what the churchy people believe or not, it would improve life for everyone. One of the ways I say this around here is, what if Jesus was a city councilman? I think he'd improve life for everybody in Ray. It'd have ramifications for everyone, even if they didn't believe in him, even if they didn't follow him. I think it would help everybody out. And that's what his church is supposed to be doing now. Well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your appearing in the past in the person of Jesus and the work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And I pray, Father, that if anybody here today has not wrestled through what it means to follow you, that Holy Spirit, you'd start bugging them about that a little bit and that they would leave here challenged in that regard. For those of us who are following you and have at some point been baptized and at some point have decided to name Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as God, then help us to be bugged by the Holy Spirit, to see how we can live our lives God-centered, kingdom-focused, and working for justice. And Lord, infect this church and other churches in Ray and in Yuma County with the gospel, with people who are working for the renewal of all things now through the power of the Holy Spirit and the risen Jesus Christ. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you live as if there is a God who appeared 2,000 years ago and who will appear in the future to come. Amen.